Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there, and welcome back to the Roker Report Extra. This week, we've got Fulham coming up on Saturday. We're not talking about a defeat from our side, which is definitely a plus and a positive. Hopefully, we're talking about a home win from next week, but we'll find out if we think we've got the metal to get over Fulham this week. Today, joining us is Jack from the Fulhamish Pod. Um, how are you doing, Jack? You well? Yeah, very, very good, thank you. And uh, it's a pleasure pleasure to be on the podcast. So thank you very much for having me. No, not a problem at all. I hope you're going to give us news that makes us a bit more positive. We haven't had too many wins this season. No, well, uh, I think that you know, I think you're in a position that belies the actual genuine strength of your squad, even if it's not been particularly you know well suited thus far. But you've picked up a, a fantastic manager in, in Chris Coleman, and I can I, I think that you know things can can only get better. Yeah, I hope so. But before we crack on to a big man. Got a bit of a sense of deja vu here, if I'm honest with you. I spoke to a Wolves fan last week. We started discussing their last win, or their last game, which was a Birmingham game, a 1-0 win. And you've just beat Birmingham 1-0. Leaves you smack bang in the middle of the table in 12th. Yeah, funny one at the weekend. We, we we dispatched Birmingham as we kind of expected to. They are truly awful. If Fulham were in any sort of raft of form ourselves, you'd have hoped that we'd have put more past that side. But our issue has been putting the ball in the back of the net, and that's what basically came to pass again on Saturday. And if they were any cop at taking penalties, we would have come away with an extremely frustrating one-all draw. So we, we were lucky and we rode our luck at times. You know, there are hints of last season's Fulham in some sort of respect in terms of we're still playing a lovely passing football and we're looking to, to, to play that kind of game. But we still can't find that sort of clinical edge that gave us, you know, what such a good run last year into the playoffs. And we're just lacking something and, and no one can quite put their finger on what that is at the moment. One of the questions I had down here was I was basically looking through your stats as I tried to do, because I'll be honest with you, and I know this is not the right thing to say, and, and you might have the similar feeling being just recently relegated, but I've realized how ignorant I am of like the non-premiership teams below. It's like you kind of forget that their style of play they play, like who's a possession-based team, who's a long ball team. And I was I was kind of looking through Fulham's side, and you know I've always known you as having good young players, but what stuck out to me was you have the majority of possession in games, which we've actually kind of done ever so slightly better against uh, this season. But would you say that's the, your style of play then? Is it just all possession-based? Yeah, 100%. Yukanovic has, has come in and 
he had a slow start as Fulham manager, but he really did try and implement this kind of slick passing football that, you know, try and play through opposition presses and try and, you know, keep possession of the football. And there's, there's elements of that kind of, you know, obviously not to the same level. And before I get slaughtered for saying it, it's nowhere near the same level, but that kind of element of the way that City try and play, the way that Liverpool try and play, Napoli is the one that I, I always say that is the style that I think Fulham tried to emulate most. But, you know, we don't quite have the quality to, to pull that off in the same kind of manner and it can be a lovely style of play to watch when it clicks but it can be extremely frustrating because the Fulham will go backwards rather than lose possession and it means that when when attacks are on and, and counter-attacks are on we tend to dither on the ball a fair bit and you know you kind of just style has brought us a lot of success last year but this year teams have started to really figure us out and when teams put a lot of players behind the ball and uh, and really look to then hit us on on, on swift counter-attacks we do look vulnerable and we've lost against teams that we lost to Burton Albion right back at the start of the year and everyone was like, oh, it's a blip, it's a blip. But what they did was they sat back, they waited for us, they soaked up pressure and they hit us twice on the counter. And that kind of result is it is what can happen to Fulham and has happened to that kind of possession game when you lack the killer instinct to sort of kill things off. It's all very well and good having 70% possession. But if that means that you have three passes in the opposition box, it's really not going anywhere. Yeah, and it's interesting you said that as well, because like I was saying before, we do quite well against teams like that who like we I mean, I can only talk about Coleman in four games so far, but he changed the formation on Saturday and we did definitely sit back against Wolves. I don't know if we'll do that against Fulham. I think he's a little bit more adaptable than Grayson was. Uh, less said about that, the better, I think, with, yeah. with Grayson. But when it came to Coleman, he had a game plan for Saturday, but we were playing against like the best side in the league. But I think he, he definitely wants uh, like those two defensive midfielders. Obviously, Catamull is suspended and he had the three centre-offs and he had Catamull and Gibson Holden. This week, potentially, I imagine, I think McNair is back in contention. Yep. So you could look at McNair, who's, as much as he's down as a defensive midfielder, he's actually a little bit better in more advanced positions. So sit back to an extent and then hit a team like Fulham on the break. I, I'm quietly confident because we've done well against teams like Norwich, Wolves. Uh, I mean, we haven't done well all season, truth be told. But, you know, there's a bit more confidence in the camp with Coleman and quite nice to hear you saying what you're saying because it makes me feel a bit more confident about Saturday but Sunderland or Sunderland you just never quite know what we're going to come up with but I'm quietly confident actually are you worried about Saturday? Yeah I'm massively worried about Saturday you know there's so many factors in play and you know the title of our podcast is Fulhamish and and someone quite nicely just defined that the other day was defying expectations whether that be positive or negative so you know we went out and I'm sorry to, to swear on your podcast but we did go up to St James's Park last year <laughs> um, and everyone said oh that's a throwaway we'll throw that game away because they've already been promoted uh, and we went up there and absolutely took the game to them and won 3-1 and uh, it was a, a great result and a great day and uh, one of those things but it's also you know making sure the next week we're like oh we'll come home on a massive high and we played Wolves who were last season were a very different outfit to what they are today and um, who were struggling yeah. bottom of the table they hadn't won in eight and we went there and uh, they took them scottish and they completely and utterly dismantled us so it, it's very much a, there are so many factors that feel fulhamish about this the whole year without winning at home that feels fulhamish the whole chris coleman in the opposite dugout that feels fulhamish and, and lots of it <laughs> feels that there are there are too many things going oh you should win this for me to to think that we will. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. But like looking at you on a form, um, I I wanted to say that you 
teams were kind of out of form. But I've looked at your the last five games, and it's like draw one, one, lost one. And the one game you lost was Brentford when you went down to 10 men. So you're in quite a good run of form as well. I think our results are belying our run of form a little bit. Um, I, I think we're not in as good form as we look like. And it's, it's all well and good saying we've got 10 points from 15. But the Brentford game, we were diabolical. We, you know, we had a good first 30 minutes. But as soon as things started to go wrong, they really went wrong. And Jokanovic's kind of refusal to adapt his tactics when things aren't going his way really does come around to bite us, um, you know, quite often. And, you know, we beat Birmingham and Millwall 1-0 at home. They were our first two clean sheets since January. Uh, we concede. We oh, always concede. Okay. Um, <laughs> so that, that's one thing. Birmingham should have got a point off us, even though we dominated for the entire 90 minutes. They should have scored a penalty and that would have been that. Uh, and, and Millwall came close. They, they hit the post in the 83rd minute as well. So it, it's all. it does look good on paper. It's not as rosy as things seem. And I think that a lot of people at Fulham think that these results are a little bit papering over the cracks of the fact that Jokanovic won't adapt his model now that teams have figured us out. I think that can happen. It, it's funny how quickly teams kind of figure you out in this league. It's like McGeady, I thought, would really be one of our best players. And obviously he was at Preston last year and I think it was like 11 assists, 9 goals. And he did start quite well. Yeah. In terms of like, I think he scored some absolute crackers, but you can see teams now are just like, well, he's going to kind of fall over himself. Um, and, and in terms of teams as a whole, teams figure you out pretty quick because we started all right. We started with a win against Norwich and then we drew against Chef Wed. But then after that, we just went this horrible run and we're still we're still kind of stuck in it. Yeah, sort of reeling a bit, I feel. I think the, I think the result the get, result against Burton Albion is one thing. But to go to Wolves last week and, you know, I watched I watched the highlights when I was trying to prep for our, our podcast yesterday and, and talk about Sunday in a bit more depth. And it, it very much looked like you had the game under control. It wasn't so much that you were hanging on by the skin of your teeth or, or it didn't look like, you know, obviously Wolves had chances. Wolves will always have chances. But it didn't look overtly like they had, yeah. you know, massive points of the game. And, and I think that that's probably a better sign than the win, if, if I'm perfectly honest. I think that going to Molyneux in the form that they're in and, and giving them a fair game and being like, no, you're not having this all your own way, it is probably the the kind of defining point. And Coleman teams are always, you know, when he was with us and you've seen it at Wales, and I'm sure he'll, he'll bring this in, are always hard to break down. They always know exactly what they want. And even without Gareth Bale as, you know, as Wales boss, he overachieved. And it, it took sort of, you know, a, a couple of unfortunate circumstances. I'm, you know, I'm an Irish fan, so I was delighted you know, to see those unfortunate circumstances unfold. But it, it brings it back to the fact that when they're, you know, when they were solid and when they had, you know, these playing these bigger teams, it was just about keeping the players back, keeping, you know, keeping structure well and, and truly sound. And then building out from there with the kind of like flair, one or two flair players that you can, you know, then unleash. And I think that's probably what he'll look to implement, especially with someone who's obviously in so much form as, as Lewis Graben is up front. Yeah, and it's, it's funny with Graben. Graben's a funny one, though, because, I mean, he's got, I think it's like 11 goals. He's linked with a move away in January. Well, not a move away, he's on loan to us, so I guess it's like, but it's cool, funny, but... he's... He's, he's not overly loved by any of us, but he just seems to be in the right place at the right time. And I personally think we'd lose a lot. There's some people who are like, oh, we wouldn't miss too much. He's this, he's that. But we would, I think. But the way Coleman plays, I'm, I've kind of got a, a feeling. Because we were talking about um, like players that he's brought in over his time, Coleman, at different clubs. And at Wales, he had Sam Volks. And at Fulham, it, he brought up like a pure, like I mean, early 2000s player. But to me, it was like a total 90s name, Brian McBride. 
Yeah. And it's all about having a big man up top. And we've got Vaughan, who, funnily enough, scored in like his Coleman's second game. But he's he's been, he, he hasn't done well. He really hasn't done well. Whereas Graben's not really the kind of Coleman type. So there is a feeling that as much as Graben might be on the way out, that I think he may be looking at, at Gary Medine, apparently. Um, did he, because Coleman, when Coleman was a manager at Fulham, we're talking a while ago now, and there's been a big change. Did he play the 3-4, sorry, the 3-5-2 formation that he's kind of known for now? No, he, I can never remember playing Fulham playing with three at the back. Never, ever, really. Until, you know, last the end of last season, start of this season, we, we tried it for a bit and it still didn't really work for us. Um, he, he definitely was a 4-4-2 man, uh, that kind of, or a 4-4-1-1 even. McBride led the line and there was always a little man buzzing about him. Um, but it was a very, like, solid, practical, pragmatic team. And that kind of, that was his style back then. I think he obviously adapted it into that 3-5-2. But with the two holding midfielders, it does make that kind of solid middle ground that you don't really mess with. And I feel like he's it's a natural kind of progression for Coleman to move into that kind of formation. I think about just touching back on Graben, the, the point I'd make is we're a team who create create quite a lot and we we're very good at, at looking to find holes and making space and we put a lot of balls across the box we lack that player that's there at the right place at the right time and it's funny how much you don't realize who they are until they're gone and yeah. we had we had Chris Martin on loan from Derby last season and he was pretty much universally maligned by the by the film fans because he basically said he wanted to go back to Steve McLaren when when Derby got McLaren back in and there was all sorts of standoffs and scandal and he got left out of the side and then all the players said it was okay and then he came back. Bloody, bloody, blah. But basically the fans never took back to him. And although people yeah. didn't like him, he was so important as the focal point of that attack because he was the kind of holding player which it all kind of floated around. And when the ball got dragged back into the middle, he was usually the one there either to score or to lay it off. And he got, you know, 10, 11 goals last season, I think for us in all comps. And you know what? That's not brilliant for a striker, but it's more than anyone's even close to this year. And, you know, we had those kind of players firing and, and we had that kind of rotation going. And you really do need a focal point striker who knows where to be at what time. And we're, that's what we're lacking. And, and it's interesting you said that as well, because I was looking through, like you, you, like I was saying before, I looked through the stats, I looked through the players that I thought could cause us problems. And off the top of my head, it was like Ryan Sessegnon. Yeah. But as I was reading through the statistics, I noticed that the goals, if anything, are shared between the midfield, like four each, like Sessegnon four, uh, Norwood four. There was no striker that had scored five or six. So we started playing with a with a false nine, and there's Stefan Johansson, who was his ex-Celtic um, and the Norwegian captain, has been playing in the false nine, which is a bit nuts considering he spent ten million pound on strikers in the summer. We brought in Rui Font from Braga, who's a technically very gifted player, uh, but he's not an out-and-out striker. He's a more withdrawn forward, and he sort of looks to drop in and create rather than put the ball in the back of the net. We also brought Abubakar Kamara, who's a bit of, uh, I'd say, rough diamond, but that would be unfair on the diamond. He, he's very raw. He, he, he does have a certain something about him, but his touch is terrible and his knowledge and his sort of awareness of the game is awful. He, he's going to be quite a good player, I think. He has elements of that kind of, he's very strong, he's very quick and he's very direct, but he's just not very good at shooting and he's off and offside. Uh, and sort of when he touches the ball, yeah. it sort of bounds off five yards and you're like, oh God, he usually gets it back because he's rapid. But he's uh, he's one of those players that you're like, oh, 
it's going to go back to the halfway line. It's going to run around in a massive loop now and, and go around to the other side of the pitch. <laughs> what we could really do with is someone, you know, almost like a Defoe type player who, who just loiters in the box because we have Ojo and Sessegnon on the flanks or Ojo and Cabana and, and they're all really good, tricky players who can beat a man and the ball gets flashed into the box a lot. A lot of our a lot of our attacks come down. Our, our two sort of our two wingers play more like inside forwards, if if you want to use an old sort of term for it. And they cut inside, and it allows our two fullbacks to absolutely bomb one. And on the right, we have Ryan Fredericks, who yeah. uh, ex Spurs, and he, he's joined us a couple of years back. And at first, we were like, "This man's insane. He's just really fast. It doesn't really do anything." And he's really good at getting back, getting to the byline. He's not very good at crossing, but when you get to the byline, all you have to do is drill it. In. And you know, you need yeah, someone very much sort of get to the right place. And we just don't have that player that puts the ball in the back of the net. It is basically the issue that Fulham has. It's interesting you say that as well, because sometimes it's I think the one thing we miss is someone to put their foot on the ball and try that through ball and, and be good in that you know, the third quarter of the pitch. And we don't have that. You know, we've got Gibson, McNair, Catamall, Honeyman. Yeah. And are all relatively apart from Honeyman, kind of defensive minded and, and George Honeyman bless I, I feel so bad saying this because he, he tries hard, but this the quality is not quite there. But yeah. grabbing as much as he's probably underappreciated by our fan base I think on the whole like he, he puts the ball in the back of the net when it's there and I think it'd be interesting to see if he does stay and he doesn't go in January how Coleman moves forward with the centre forwards that he has does he stick with Grappen or does does he go for a big centre forward and, and try and change the way we play it wouldn't surprise me to see Coleman look going for someone like Medine. We had Bolton at the cottage uh, three, four weeks ago, and he, he does do a job. That's exactly what he does. He does a job. He distracts defenders, and Sammy Amiobi runs amok because everyone's tied up with looking after Medine. And so, in that respect, I don't think it'd be a bad signing for, to go alongside Graben. I think you'd struggle with just having Medine because his kind of hold-up play and knockdown work is so based on having someone to sort of run around beside him. I'm, I'm interested in, in, in what you think of, and, and if you don't mind me asking about, about Catamol. And, you know, I've seen, I've seen some of his performances this season and he looks a shadow of the man he once was. I, you know, I, I followed Sunderland not too closely, but back when I was at university, I went to Durham. So I, um, I oh, amazing. around the area and, and I, a lot of my, you know, a lot of the people I was with and that were Sunderland fans. And we used to go to games occasionally and I remember Catamore being this kind of iconic figure that, you know, was the heart and soul of everything. And, you know, even if he had yeah, play totally. points, he, he, he had, you know, he was always fire and, and fury and blood and all of those things seem to be missing from him this season. And I've seen a lot of people saying that the red card might be a, a bad thing for us, which is mad to think of considering what kind of esteem that I held Catamol in before this season. Catamol's been a, um, it, slowly like sort of September, October time, people are like, well, Catamol's not really performing and it's got to December now and everyone's, I think, almost universally, like what has happened to him? He just, and there's no other way for me to put it, but Catamol looks like he's had one injury too many and he's lost it. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just because he's stagnated. He's been here since 2009, I think. So we're talking nearly a decade. And it, realistically, as much as he's a bit of a cult hero, I, I'll be honest, I love Lee Catamore previously, Catamore. Right now, I just, I'm just i delighted he's out of the game. In fact, I'll touch on this. Where we've really struggled this year is that our experienced players have let us down. Catamore, maybe it's unfair to say O'Shea, so I'll say Kone, but the ones that you'd expect to kind of be like mantle and kind of ushering these younger players through, and it's people like Honeyman and people like Lyndon Gooch. You've kind of like got the balls to just have a go, and there's almost like a, a want from the fan base to have the younger people in the side because at least they're showing bollocks. 
for want of a better word. Yeah, no, I, I was surprised that Gooch hasn't been given more of an opportunity. I, I, I've seen him play in the US and, and what he was doing over there. And that's kind of part of what the, the job is I do. But we've been, I've been watching him, you know, for a couple of years and he's always seemed like he, he puts in a fair shift and, he, you know, he has a little bit, you know, he's not, I wouldn't say he's a creative powerhouse, but, he, he, you know, he knows how to drive the ball forward. And I'm surprised he hasn't had more of a look in. I, I was going to touch on the same kind of thing and, and talk about it a little bit because uh, for me, I, I, I keep an eye on, on, on John O'Shea and, and Aidan McGeady for, for international reasons, but it, it, they're just neither of them seem to be hitting the the targets. Actually, I, I regress a little bit because John O'Shea seems to have an excellent game at the weekend, and I've heard that from from more than one quarter, shall we say. But Aidan McGeady, every time he comes on for the Republic, looks knackered. He looks finished. And I hate to say it because he was one of my favourite players. I followed him, you know, from Celtic all the way out to Moscow and, and watched him out there and watched him in the Champions League. And remember being like, oh, amazing. Those Irish fellas just, you know, out there in out there in Moscow doing doing fair bits. So it, it was one of those things that always thing. And he was okay at Preston, but even there, his kind of output belied the fact that he occasionally was absolutely anonymous during games. And his, he'd yeah. get like two goals and an assist in one game. And then he'd go missing for two weeks. And then he'd, he'd pop up again with another goal and assist. And everyone would be like, oh, look, look at McGeady's totals. You know, he's looking like he really is back. And I'd be like, well, it's one thing. But actually, if you look at where he's got those kind of assists and goals, it's where Preston were already winning 2-0 and he'd managed to get the third and assist the fourth. Uh, and it really does feel like he's kind of, his legs are gone, I think. You know, he, he's always one step over too many. And if he yep. just released the ball a little bit more, I feel like he'd be you know, twice the player because I don't think he's realised yet that his pace isn't quite what it was to kind of tear past a player. And he, he's, it's all good beating one player, but you're never going to get past the second if you don't have the acceleration. And it's funny, he's, um, we're four games into the Coleman era and he's already been dropped. And I don't know, a lot of people kind of said, oh, well, that's the, the formation and that's it. That's him changing. But I, I don't see McGeady having, and maybe it's too early to say, but I don't think McGeady's going to be a Coleman man. I, I don't think that. I think he was good under Grayson. He was probably our best player under Grayson. And then Grayson left. It's one step over too many and it's it's lack of quality and end product. Yeah, precisely. I mean, suits. It, it very much feels like that from where I'm standing. And I'm sure, you know, as someone that sees it week in, week out, it's refreshing to know that, that, that the kind of synopsis from afar is actually what's going on. Yeah, and it really is. He just looks miserable. And I don't know if it's just he came here for Grayson. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I want, I want to concentrate on the positives the positives yeah, have lots of negatives but one thing i have to ask oh yeah what's your thoughts on chris coleman as a whole what, what's your thoughts from an, an inside but technically an outside perspective what i would say about coleman is is that he's always come across as a genuinely excellent person that, that, that would be my first comment and i think the basis for anything else has to sort of stem from that if, if you will he's always come across as a genuine great guy and someone who deeply cares about football and someone who has, you know, a knowledge of not so much his own limitations, but he always is able to look at his squad and go, OK, I'm not going to be able to play, you know, attacking fast paced football at 100 miles an hour with the players I've got. And you saw that with Wales. He was he was able to kind of develop that squad from a very much a, a basic unit that didn't necessarily do much when they had the ball to a, a very, very solid back three, two wing backs that had the, 
you know, ability and tenacity to get forward, and, and they all just worked for each other. And in you know, what I think he'll do is he'll he'll rebuild that kind of solid vibe first, and then hopefully look to start to pick teams off on the counter. And then from there, from January, when he can bring in a few more of his own players, I'd be surprised if you didn't bring in you know that kind of flying wing back who with a massive work rate and. I know that your fullbacks have actually been some of the better players this year from from what I've read and seen. Um, yeah. But I, I really, you know, I think I think Oviedo is a great player, and I, I know he's been he, he's been quite widely lauded for his efforts, shall we say? I think you, think you might end up seeing him in a more central role. If if I'm honest, I, I always thought he could do that mm-hmm. for Everton, and I think I wouldn't be surprised to see him in in a midfield three, especially if what you were saying earlier was you were lacking was creativity. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he was moving into that three to make way for a kind of like up and down the wing all the time uh, left back. Uh, and so I think that what you'll see developed from from Coleman and what we definitely saw at the cottage was like a very tight-knit group that worked very very hard for each other and were always able to you know to put in that extra kind of 10 minutes at the end when all else seemed lost we had a lot of if, you know if I remember correctly we had a lot of like last minute equalizers and, and and sort of never say die attitude we were quite swashbuckling in that kind of sense but it was all very much based on a solid middle that, that didn't sort of wilt under pressure. Yeah, and I mean, from from our perspective as a as a fan base, that's kind of what we like. That that is reminiscent of the Roy Keane era. We need back that little bit of metal. I just hope it hasn't been left too late for them to save us because we're we're, we're not cut adrift yet, but we could be. I wrote off Wolves at the weekend, and I think if he gets the home form right, and I don't mean win every game. If he can win like one in two, one in three, then we'll soon shoot up that league. And I, I, I have confidence in Coleman. I really genuinely do. I think a good run of results in this league can do wonders for you. And actually, if you if you look at us last year, I know it's not quite the same kind of point of the division or whatever, but we were cut adrift in in, in 10th, I suppose, from the in, in that playoff hunt, if you will. And we were 10 points, I think seven points at, at January, but a 1.10 points behind sixth place. And we just went on a bit of a rampage. And when it really clicked, it clicked. And I think that Coleman's the kind of man that might not inspire, you know, seven wins on the trot, but he might inspire three wins, three draws, and you know, one, you know, unlucky loss in the middle of it. That would not enough to like derail confidence as such. You know, going away yeah. to Leeds and losing one nil is by no means a bad result. You know, they're they're a good side, and you know, it pains me to say that because I don't like Leeds. It really, <laughs> Same. it's really one of those things that if you go and get that kind of run of form going then it can be such a, a positive in terms of the division. And it's really easy to, I wouldn't say it's easy to pick up points. It's never easy to pick up points in this division. But if you do get a run of form going, it is easy to move up places to an extent, obviously. I mean, you're not going to suddenly become sixth. But I, I think if you have you have the right kind of structure in there in terms of Coleman and Simons, and he's another one you know, who didn't do brilliantly for Fulham, but he, his passion and verve for the game is, is very much in evidence. And I think that, you would, I think you'd struggle to find a better manager at the level that we're currently in. Yeah, I think I'd agree. I think um, that weren't a good thing. I hope. Which brings me on to like the, you know, the final two questions. Do you have a prediction for Saturday? But before the prediction, that anyone you're worried about, I have a feeling I know who you're going to say. But anyway, well, it's a funny one. I mean, I, we've obviously touched on grabbing and, and that kind of the, what he brings to the side and how, how how useful he is in the box. But one of the things we're actually terrible at is, is defending set pieces, and we're just anything sort of long and lumped into the box we're not very good at so 
uh, I think that you, you might be surprised. I don't know if he'll play, but if you can get the balls into the box for Lamine Kone in, in, in the weekend, he, he would, he, this, is, this is the kind of game that he could turn things around in because our, our ability to defend high balls from, you know, that kind of big hulking figure it is absolutely terrible. So I'm a little bit wary of set pieces. So for that reason, I'd, I'd, I'd say Kone, but obviously Graben is, is for me the danger man, and especially the way we play. We often have seven, eight men in the opposition half. And I think, you know, the pace and, and power, especially if we're left two on two with, with our two centre-backs, who are both, you know, good players in their own right, but but will struggle with, with his kind of pace and quality because I think that's the, the, the big one. In terms of predictions, I think it's going to go one of two ways. I think if we can score early, you know, I, I've been to the stadium like more than once and I know what it's like as a ground and I know how intimidating it can be to opposition teams if the atmosphere gets going, but I can also see that going the other way and especially if things aren't going well and obviously they haven't been going well at home. You know, if Fulham can get an early goal and get our noses in front and get control of the ball and, and, and look like we're really dominating the game, I think we could come on and win, not comfortably, we never win that comfortably, if, I, if I'm perfectly honest with you, but I could see a 2-0. Yeah. But I think if you can weather an early storm and we get frustrated and we're just playing that weird possession game, I can see us getting caught out as well and, and losing by one on, on a kind of sort of either a set piece or a breakaway goal. I think they would be my... T- I think either Fulham score early and we go on and dominate the game or we don't score early and we are, we get picked off on the break. Yeah, I, I see. It's it's tough to call. I, I fancy us to win. I don't know why. The beauty about um, the one player you work well, it's not the beauty for us, but Kone's injured. Oh, he is. For quite a while. Oh, so wow. we have our three centre-offs are Tyus Brown and John O'Shea and Mark Wilson. So since you're worried about centre-half, can I, by default, can I say you're worried about John O'Shea just for shits and giggles? Yeah, of course you can. You can. Um, <laughs> I didn't realise Camp McTony was injured for so long. Yeah. I, um, Allegedly so. Yeah, I saw, well, I mean, I, I saw him in his, you know, his, his pomp and ceremony when he first came and everyone was yeah. you know, obviously so excited. So he did start this season, did he not? Yeah, he, he he got injured about three or four weeks ago. Okay, for, all right. I feel I feel more I feel more comfortable. I'm pretty. Sure, I was like, I, feel <laughs> I saw him play this season, but I, um, yeah, I didn't realize that. I I mean, the issue, the, the point stands as such. It's not. It wasn't necessarily him. It, yeah, it's just any sort of you know aerial threat from a from a set piece is, is is likely to trouble us. And and if you know, I think that. You know, obviously we're we're, we're lucky that you, the Seb Larson no longer is in the ranks to, to worry us with those because I remember playing you before and, and just being constantly worried by Seb Larson standing over the ball. But it's uh, it is one of those where I, I mean I don't know who who now takes those, but I, I would be worried no matter who it was at this point in the way we we look to defend under crosses. It's Oviedo these days. Oviedo is actually dynamite on corners. He scored from a direct corner this year, but that was kind of the goalkeeper's fault. Yeah, uh, this against Millwall. Uh, Brentford. It was Brentford. The Millwall game was a totally different kettle of fish. That was the uh, well, all four goals were ridiculous. Yeah, that, that, that's painful to remember. Potentially the most entertaining two minutes of football that have ever been played. <laughs> highlights. I'm, I'm sure less so for both of you, but um, for everyone else, it was one of those. Any goal against Brentford is a good goal for me, so I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> good, man. Well, Jack, thanks for coming on, mate. It's well, been a so good crack. Uh, you, you make me feel a bit more confident, which I don't know if that's you being I, a pessimistic bugger or not, but um, I hope you enjoy the season after Saturday. Yeah, um, same to you. I'm very much a, I'm very much am a cookie a cookie fan, and I hope that he does. I hope he does keep you up, and I hope that everything does start start to turn around at the stadium a lot. I'm going to say nothing, but I hope so. 
I hope so. <laughs> Thank Cheers, you for having me on. Take care. Not a problem, my friend. Have a good day. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.